Sweet. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to another Tuesday webinar. It's so lovely to have you here today. I'm uh, just shifting across my notes. Um, so good morning, and thank you for another uh, for being here for another webinar session. Uh, and I think it's probably a blessing that we're doing this nice and early this morning because uh, it has been hot. And uh, the only thing is that I hope you've all managed to get some sleep because uh, I did not. Anyway, uh, today our guest is Sarah Roberts. Uh, Sarah is the Head of Digital Communications uh, at CUH NHS Trust. And also um, something I'm very proud of is that she's also a marketing meetup attendee, um, which, is, which is so lovely. Uh, CUH is responsible for both Addenbrooke's and the Rosie Hospital in Cambridge, England. Uh, both of which have been recognised as world-leading hospitals and, uh, yeah, literal lifesavers. Uh, on a personal level, I've actually been an indirect beneficiary of Sarah's work. Um, so my, my wife works at the hospital, Sarah Covers, and uh, regularly she'll come back uh, and tell me all about the email she's received, the online community that Sarah's uh, team has established um, during the height of COVID, and like how useful it was and, and how it was like a, a place of support and how people came together and were chatting and just how wonderful it was. So without meaning to give the, the game away, Sarah's hard work has been an invaluable source of just community um, for thousands of staff uh, working with or in the hospital, uh, which is just absolutely incredible. So we'll hear all about that uh, in just a moment, but um, you know, it's absolutely brilliant to have her here today. Uh, today's session uh, comes with a couple of uh, things that need establishing up front, you know, just for the sake of uh, prosperity. Uh, first of all is of course, none of us wish for a second that we were speaking about any of this. Uh, COVID has obviously flipped the world upside down. And while, you know, we've all been looking to find those positives, it's also impossible to escape that the virus has changed so many lives uh, for the worst. Um, so, you know, I think when we head into this talk, we, we acknowledge that none of us want it to happen, but it has, and we can all learn something from it. So that's, that's the attitude we're taking in this. And secondly, I'm sure Sarah will cover this, but uh, everything in this talk, I'm sounding like a Twitter, bi a Twitter bio here, is her own personal opinion, uh, her own personal reflections, uh, and doesn't reflect the wider reviews of the trust. Um, I think it's just important to say that up front because obviously there's a whole lot of stuff that's uh, wrapped up in that. Uh, finally, of course, this session will just be fascinating because it will be able to take a view into a world that many of us thankfully uh, haven't seen uh, from the other side, but you know, we'll get a little window into it. Of course, we can all just learn from the adversity that's gone on. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm really, really looking forward to this. This has been one of the ones that I've you know, particularly been looking forward to. Um, this session today will run as a presentation and then there will be an opportunity for a Q&A afterwards, uh, if we like. Um, although now or, you know, after is the time uh, to get your questions in using the Q&A feature. So down the bottom, if you wiggle, wiggle your mouse, you'll be able to see down the bottom, there's a Q&A feature, you can pop your questions in there. And you can also use the thumbs up feature if you see a question that you like. Um, that means that we can answer those questions first. Um, rather than look to just answer the ones that only a couple of people would like answering. Um, there is a, also an additional thing on the Q&A, which is that there are some questions that obviously we're just not going to be able to cover in the session for like 
the same reasons as the personal reflections. Um, so we're just going to have to be sensitive to that in this session, but I think everyone understands why. Um, finally, I just want to thank the sponsors. Uh, we sat here, you know, since the beginning of, of this crazy, crazy time, and uh, every one of them has stepped up and said, we're going to continue supporting you. And we wouldn't be able to do these sessions if we didn't have that, that source of income, that source of support. Um, but also then just supporting the community in general and look, saying, look, we like marketers and we want to help them. So here we are. Um, you've already had the, uh, them in, in the, in the pre-email. You also have their names in, in the post email. Um, there's one ask as ever. I'm sure we've got lots of regulars on, on, on the webinar today. But if you haven't already, please just do take a second to thank each of these individuals behind these companies because they're ultimately they're people. They're not, they're not just companies. So please do take the time uh, to thank those folks. Um, so I just want to say a big thank you to Pitch, Content Cal, Fiverr, Redgate, Cambridge Marketing College, Lidu, Brand, Ferber, Third Light, Bravo and Human. Just give them a thank because that's, uh, that's fully what they deserve. So that's my introduction over with. Um, so I, all I can say now is uh, Sarah, it's over to you. Well, thanks, Joe, for that really lovely introduction, and I'll try my best to live up to that. Um, so, as as Joe said, I'm I'm Sarah, and what I really care about is making sure that patients at our hospitals have a great digital experience, and that could be whether they visit our websites, whether they go to our social media channels, or how it interfaces with their digital appointments. I've got 12 years' experience in public sector communications and marketing, and I have the privilege at the moment of leading a team of five brilliant digital comms pros, which I think is it's not arguable that it's one of the difficult um, times of NHS history. So that's that's a really unique position that I find myself to, um, to be leading that team. Um, I think before I dive into the, the six lessons that um, I feel that I'm going to take away from the most, um, I'd just like to explain about the scale of the challenge. So how, how big are we actually talking? So as um, Joe said, um, CUH runs Addenbrooke's and the Rosie, which are world-renowned hospitals. Um, it finds itself on the Cambridge Biomedical Campus as well, which puts it in a really unique position um, against research, which has been incredibly important, as you can imagine, throughout this um, period of COVID. Um, tens of thousands of patients receive hospital um, treatments um, within different specialties, um, around 170 specialties. So it's, it's a massive place. It feels like its own little village um, as it's a sprawling campus and, and I'll, I'll show you some of them um, pictures of it to give you a size of the sense of the scale and in terms of the challenges that we faced as a communications and marketing team I think you'll remember back to the daily briefings so the communicating at pace so every night it felt like that there was something new in the policy that we had to really um, consider and um, work through because the next day our staff would be asking, well, how does this affect the way in which I do my job? And patients were, were saying, well, how does this affect my care? And that's really important to make sure that um, that's, that's taken into consideration. Secondly, uh, keeping a remote workforce and a frontline workforce connected. So obviously we had a lot of staff who were still delivering care on site but also we had a chunk of the workforce who began to work from home. And I think it's, it's um, a lot of organizations face this. We had um, the position where not 
our IT infrastructure was not set up to have that large amount of people working from home. So it was a real challenge to keep the people on the front line connected with those who were now newly working from home too. And thirdly, we obviously needed to reassure patients that we would be there for them in their time of need. And that was a, that was a really core part of delivery of, of communications throughout this period of time. And finally, the, the challenge of actually managing the shift to digital. So people who had never really considered digital as being part of their jobs, of how they, how they talk to their patients or how they talk to their teams were now in a position where they had no expertise or knowledge in this and very much the demand came through to our team to help uh, manage some of that and while we've done some of that of ourselves we weren't exactly the experts in it so I think that we're now in the position to say that we probably are but at the beginning of this we certainly weren't so working through those challenges I think I have to say that those challenge of challenges are very different to the challenges that the organization faced so things like PPE things like how you reconfigure a hospital so that you keep patients separated um, and isolated who do have COVID from those who don't. So those are all the background challenges that um, our communication challenges had to operate in. And we were always mindful of how those messages and how we keep people connected throughout that period of time were really important. So moving on to um, lessons, my first lesson is don't underestimate the power of the human voice. So overnight, our hospitals went from this. To this empty hallways. So staff coming into hospitals, it, it felt very, very different. Usually it's a, it's a vibrant, it's a bustling community and you feel the sense of music movement as you move through the um, through the hallways and corridors. So what that did mean though was that where visitors weren't there that was a, that was a very difficult decision that had to be made operationally and not one that was taken lightly because what it meant was that visitors were not allowed to come and visit their family their friends in hospital and that's heartbreaking and what had been happening was that we were gradually reducing the visitors into the hospital so where it had gone to one adult being able to come in no children I I hadn't thought that we would blanket ban visitors from coming to the hospital and suspending visitors coming that I just not considered it I didn't think that that was a possibility so when it came it, on a personal level it came as, as quite a shock that that we were having to make that call and so we initially communicated out using the same kind of graphics that we have been doing for communicating about um, signage in the hospital and and uh, helping people to understand what was going on. And at the time, it was very much aligned to, to the green of the um, what was the government original um, communications. And, and we were hoping to keep that consistent so that people understood what it was about and why it was happening. Um, but what we hadn't anticipated is that's really impersonal. So when you're talking about something that's really emotional, having just a graphic and some text felt really impersonal. So the way in which it landed was probably not the way that we had really wanted it to because it was such a difficult call. So we created a series of videos to bring that human voice through. Um, and I'll show you a really short clip of Giles who you'll be able to tell from the moment that you hear his voice, what a difficult decision this was for the hospitals. The reason that we've made this decision is to keep people safe and to save lives. 
thank you for your help and support and understanding. So even just hearing just a few few moments of Giles's voice, you can hear that, that that has a completely different feel to it. And often when emotional messaging happens, people people react in different ways and you need it to land in the best possible way. So using human voice is really important to do that. Um, and also in lieu of being able to visit, I'm really proud of the contribution that I've made to this. So this is letters from loved ones. And I'd seen that um, other hospitals had set up a service where people weren't obviously able to come into the, to the wards to see their families, but they could send a letter or they could phone the PALS helpline and then have um, a letter written up and the message passed on to their family. So I'm really proud that the, the, the PALS team took this up and actually resourced this and made this happen because where we couldn't obviously have um, patients being visited, this was the next best thing. And the difference this made um, anecdotally from patients and their families was that it made a huge difference to how people felt and didn't feel so isolated. So also don't, don't forget the value of the written word too. So my top tips for um, communicating with compassion is where possible have a human deliver difficult messaging and keep it simple to free key messages because of that emotional reaction you want people to take away what the key points of your message are. And also the learning from from which was quite quite a hard learning and something that I, I do um, all the time now is scenario plan on all the possible outcomes, no matter how how outrageous you think that they are, because it might happen. And how could you make each of those scenarios just a little bit more human so that it lands in the way that you intend the first time round? My second lesson is about the importance of communication of connection, sorry. So people were obviously feeling quite isolated, you know, um, think back to if you were working from home that that those first couple of weeks of the change of, of the change of pace, the change of environment. Um, so keeping people connected was was really difficult in our hospitals, as I was explaining that a big chunk of the workforce with it was them working from home. And so um, what what we found, again, because the IT infrastructure wasn't at that point able to facilitate that amount of people working from home was that people weren't getting the information that they needed to be able to do their jobs and do their jobs quickly, particularly as that fast pace of information was coming out from governments and we needed to react to it very quickly. So I have to say hats off to Michael and my team who created in less than a week, I might add, a staff portal, which housed all of the information, which sat outside of the network. And that's that's quite a bold move, um, which um, the, the management team approved to have that information sitting, um, sitting there so that people could access it on mobile. They could access it from home. And they, importantly, they could access it any time of day and it didn't have, um, you didn't have to rely on the IT network to be able to get there. So, Alongside that, we we set up a um, Facebook group, which which Joe has mentioned, and this was about helping people to stay connected in a bit more of a, a personal way. So initially, I set this up, and we now have more than four thousand members of our eleven thousand strong workforce, which is uh, is about thirty seven percent. So it's 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 a really brilliant tool to keep people connected um so the types of things that we originally planned for it to have was um pushing out things like our bulletin so people could have the information that they needed on that, that, that daily basis we we increased the bulletin to twice daily at some points as well 
and you'll see that the variation in um, the, the coronavirus versus the CUH bulletin where as an organization we felt it was important that we switched off from talking about coronavirus back to well this is actually now the way that we do business so you, you'll see that that's that's from five days ago compared to um, last month where we were still using the, the coronavirus um, and also we then began to see that staff were sharing thank yous that they'd received and helping build up morale and also um, it was an opportunity because there was so much love for the NHS that lots of organisation donated so much it, and it was so generous but not everybody would be able to know about it so it allowed us um, to well not just us but any person in the organisation to share where they knew that people were, were offering that generosity. And then from our point of view, we were able to share stories. So the, the one on the left here is about David and Joyce. And it was it was a beautiful moment where um, he was able to, um, to, ma to marry Joyce on our um, ICU, which is just it's just lovely. And it's about having that opportunity to provide uplifting moments where this this is what we're doing all this for. This is this is the reason why we're here to help people. And we also had things like um, Facebook Lives that kept bringing people back and gave people a reason to keep coming um, back to the group. Um, and so the, the 8.27 is the weekly meeting that, that happens at exactly 8.27. Um, the, in, in the normal times, it would have been the case that it was held in the boardroom, but now it's held virtually um, via Facebook um, so that people um, can, can access it outside of um, the hospitals. And then we've now started to see so much about people who are um, now just generating their own content and becoming asking questions and then people answering their questions too. And it's a really lovely space to be operating because often you don't know how these things are going to go and how much moderation really you're going to need to input. So having a community that becomes to self-moderate is a really exciting place to be. Um, so largely it's like touch in terms of involvement now but keeping things going and keeping an eye on it so that anything that, that does breach rules um it's obviously um taken down but this this one i really liked um for those of you who do know adam brooks we have henry the cat who um causes all sorts of mischief um in in the hospitals and um people like to nominate him for you made a different a difference awards because he brings so much joy to the hospitals um, so I, I just wanted to show you that so my top tips for starting a Facebook community. So be very clear about the purpose and the reason why you're setting it up. Um, and ours was, was very clear. It was about ensuring people had that fast access to information that they might not necessarily have had um, from home. So that, that was really important. But now it's more about the connection, about people being so ask questions and find the answers themselves. Um, creating group rules is also important. Um, the, the one that I'm most um i think has the most value is if in doubt leave it out because largely people are sensible we like to give people the benefit of the doubt um, and there are other rules about you know not spamming etc but giving people the benefit of the doubt and um leaving them to to decide if they feel what they're posting is appropriate and then having to step in only if you need to have content lined up. So we are obviously have had the signposting to the daily bulletins and the Facebook lives with senior leaders, because that's what keeps pulling people back as well as, as the conversations. 
and also having um, the ability to empower people to become self-moderators of content too so that you don't have to keep stepping into that position where you're scolding people and potentially banning them from a community um, because people often do that themselves and, and they can help self-regulate um, what is and what isn't acceptable um, on one of the groups. My lesson three is remember to breathe and I'll, I'll, sh I'll talk through um, firstly how the hospitals um, in a major incident mode they operate there's um, a change in decision making and then I'll, I'll recall um, that the first time that I sat on Silver Command which was was quite a nerve-wracking experience. So when a major incident is declared in the public sector, this happens in other organisations like the police and ambulance, etc., um, as well as the NHS, we run gold, silver and bronze command, which means that all decision making is taken through the route um, and ultimately gold is that sign off as a strategic level. Silver's about being tactical, um, so recommending what those decisions are and understanding what's happening, and bronze makes the stuff happen. So each individual unit in the hospitals um, would have one of these um, command structures. So for communications, we had a gold, silver and bronze. And there's a central one too, where different people from each of those units comes and talks about what's happening in their business unit and what's important. So from from my point of view the um i was sitting on silver i was one of um a few people who was on silver command and the first time that um, i attended a silver command meeting as i say it was, it was quite nerve-wracking because it originally it was in the boardroom before um the, i suppose social distancing became so pertinent and looking around at 30 different colleagues who were all from different areas of the hospital who I think as well were quite scared about what was going to happen because they were seeing what was going on in northern Italy and thinking we have never ever dealt with anything like this so to see colleagues also feeling a bit nervous was a bit like well we don't know what's going to happen here so we need to work out what can we do to be able to provide ourselves and our staff with reassurance but also then provide patients with reassurance too about how the hospitals and their care would be affected. So at one point I realized because my, my heart had been racing so quickly, I hadn't been breathing, I'd been holding my breath. So every time now that I step into a, a, a stressful situation like this, I come back to this, um, this gif about, making sure that you're taking some deep breaths and sinking your breathing because only when you are, are breathing properly you're able to get enough oxygen to be able to not not enter into that kind of panic and anxiety mode so that's that's now what I do um, our internal communication colleagues are now responsible for attending the silver command meetings while other people have been shifted onto different priorities um, so it's it's not how it was as it was in the beginning, um, but it still is quite a stressful situation. So here's some of my top tips for entering stressful situations. So make sure you take a deep breath before, <laughs> before you go in um, and make sure that you, you've regulated your breathing so you can properly listen to what's happening. Um, I love the, um, the acronym here, FOFBOC, and that's feet on floor, bum on chair. And that's about giving yourself that sturdiness, that stability so that you, um, you, you feel stable and you're breathing and you're giving your best in, in um, a situation where you need to be able to give your best. 
And also remember you're the expert, that's why you're in the room. So people look to you to provide that level of expertise. And that's, that's a really important space to operate from. Um, my lesson four is about the impact of stories. So the, the three main objectives of storytelling throughout our COVID response has been bringing hope when often the national outlook has been pretty bleak. Um, the national narrative has uh, um, a lot was about how many people have been infected, how many people have died. So that, of course, creates conditions where people are scared. They're scared to come into hospital if they need to receive treatment. They're scared about what might happen to their friends and families um, from a staff point of view. And um, the, the hospitals were in a position where they um, requisitioned some hotels to be able to offer that space so that people could um, step away from their fa families and loved ones to be able to make sure that they kept them safe if they if they were worried about that. Um, and we also use stories to reassure people who were scared and help to manage expectation and make sense of what's happening um, in the hospitals. So part of the, the joy of some of this has been about the, the gathering of stories. So um, this is a shout out to uh, Josh, our digital apprentice, and Abby, our, one of our digital officers. And we've spent quite a lot of time getting out and about hearing the stories and understanding what is important to staff, what is important to patients, so that we could tell the stories that have the most impact. Um, so on the right hand side, this, this is Josh um, filming um, a swab, it, a swab at our um, our testing station and it's it, it's been really illuminating to hear those stories and see those stories and actions and help to tell those stories because it's it's very difficult to imagine what goes on in a hospital throughout covid it's almost like a black hole you kind of know stuff is going on and people are being cared for with covid and people are you know they're being tested for coronavirus but you don't get to see that. So it was really important to make it visual as well. So stories have helped us to do that. And I think one of the, the best pieces of storytelling, which uh, credit goes to um, my colleague, Sarah Vincent, for setting this massive opportunity up is the um, 12 hours um, in our hospitals that the BBC spent um, doing hospitals live BBC. And this was an incredible piece. And, you know, it, it, it allowed um, two teams of journalists and we embedded some external affairs colleagues and digital colleagues to go around the hospitals and hear the different stories from patients and staff and tell the story from our point of view so that we were owning our own narrative rather than hearing from the, the national point of view about well what's happening and we know there's going to be waiting times this is this is going to be a long period of recovery but part of that reassurance is that this is what we're doing to make that um, that possible and as safe as possible. So this is Camwell, and I love Camwell. She is um, the divisional director for Women's and Children's, and she was one of the main characters that appeared throughout the day. She started the day and she ended our day, and um, it was probably one of the most um, normal days that she'd had in a long time. So she was. Um, operating on a baby who had a cleft lip and so uh, and, uh, and uh, did a jaw reconstruction on an, on another child too so hearing about how she goes about her day differently so from a surgery perspective there's there's different ways of operating now you know you you have so much PPE and that makes that a challenge so just hearing it from the hospital side means that people can understand why it does you know something 
we can't just flick a, flick a switch and the services come back online. So helping to tell those stories makes a difference. And this is Tim, who was waiting for an x-ray after experiencing chest pain, and he was having treatment for leukemia. And Sue was able to explain that she feels really safe in, in the hospitals due to having her cancer treatments. And this might make a difference for a person who is feeling scared about coming in and perhaps might not come in. So sharing these stories does have a massive difference to how people, um, their perceptions and potentially changing their behaviour. So it's, it's something that, that can't be taken lightly. So my top tips for telling stories and um, I, think, I think the last face-to-face -face marketing meetup was on stories. So I, I, I won't, I won't um, go on too much about this because they're much more experts than I am, um, but understand what's important to your audience. So we know that people want reassurance and that's what we're going to give them. Find stories and characters who help bridge that gap. So people like your Camwells of the world, your, um, your patients like Tim and Sue, um, how, does, how, do, how can they help tell that story that you're, you're hoping to um, convey? The inciting incident, and I think for everybody it's COVID, um, but where's that conflict? So for us, very much the conflict is about switching services back on, but it's an uphill battle. Um, and it's not something that can be easily done. There's hurdles to overcome. And the resolution obviously is about getting people seen um, in as swift time as possible. But also there's this, this important thing about knowing when you need to move your story on. So I'll, I'll come onto this in, in the next lesson um, in a bit more detail, but this is about, well, there comes a point where you do need to move the story on because you'll have seen from our daily bulletins, we were putting out COVID bulletins and it was a very deliberate choice to move to CUH Bulletin to, to signify that shift in where we felt the organisation was operating from a very much a fighting and reactive response mode through to a more, this is our new business as usual and this is how things are going forward. So knowing when to move that on is important. And we'll also see that through the, the national narrative of clapping as well. So um, you'll remember that. So lesson five, you can't pour for an empty cup. Um, I think that's fair to say for, for everybody. Um, and this will feel familiar to many. This, this is my working life journey as it's evolved throughout um, COVID. So I first started on the sofa and then sometimes when it was nice, moved out to the garden. And now I'm working from um, my lovely garden shed office that um, is extremely hot in, in the afternoons. Um, but this is, this is different for everybody. And knowing that people um, are dealing with the way in which they're changing their environments, things are happening that, um, for example, I've had to postpone my wedding. I would have been getting married a week on Saturday. So there's so much personally that people are dealing with that you often don't know what the impact is underneath the surface. So understanding that each person is different and that people will be experiencing this in different ways and not everything can be solved in, in, in one fell swoop. Um, so my, my tips for well-being throughout this has been about being honest and embracing vulnerability. So I'm, I'm really upfront about how I feel um, with the team because hopefully that gives them permission to feel that they don't have to be at 100% all the time. Um, especially in the beginning, I was, I was saying, you know, our response, we're still sorting this out. We don't have all the answers and that's okay. Um, but what we will do is we'll work through this together. And that's, that's very much where we've um, come from this. 
Um, something that we've, um, I've personally really enjoyed is in some of our wider team meetings, having a check-in culture where we rate from um, zero to 10 how we're doing. So we, again, as a team, we understand how each other is feeling and we can pick each other up when we need to. Twos and threes up to about eights um, is something to, to really celebrate because coming through the other side of this um, is, it's been a really important journey and not all days are eights, um, but appreciating that, again, that's okay. And making sure you take leave and set an example. So I, again, trying to get as much time in the diary and use up as much of that leave, which often doesn't feel possible when you've got all this going on, you having to communicate for your staff and your, your patients. It's not, it's not always possible, but trying to set an example so that other people feel that they can um, have leave is again, also very important. And finally, my, my lesson six about how far a united sense of purpose can take you. So when COVID struck, um, a lot of hospital services had to stop. In terms of research, anything other than COVID-related research stopped. So it felt like every, every part of the hospitals, every part of our wider um, healthcare um, partners was all focused on delivering and fighting COVID. And that's a really unique space to be in because when else has anything ever stopped in such a way that gave such a big purpose? And, I, and Joe and I were talking just before about how, um, how can you bottle that up and use that in a way that, that can propel you into the future? And I, I, I'm not convinced that you can completely create those conditions again, but what you can do is be really clear about that purpose and, and help people um, understand what is important and what is a priority. So you all have been this is outside of Regularly, other um, emergency services would come and clap, patients would come and clap, staff would come out and, and clap. And it was a really special moment. And, you, and you, you probably were on your doorsteps clapping as well. And that was a really unique, again, a unique time where people had such love for the NHS. And then people were saying thank you. And people were making us. Um, scrubs for our staff so the level of generosity and the level of feeling the rainbows it was all such a lovely lovely period of time and even our dogs were saying thank you to the NHS and, and um, yeah don't tell the other dogs but Pablo is is my favorite um, pets as therapy dog um, and they come into the hospitals and they help patients to, um, to to again just just feel a little bit more normal especially if they've got um they're you know animals at home and they really help but what they haven't been able to do is come in due to covid so even they've been really thankful but what happened at that point was that once all this this lovely nhs feeling this sentiment it came a point where we were using words like hero um which puts people on a pedestal and that's absolutely where they should be for that period of time but once we felt the shift was changing, we made, again, deliberate choices about uses of, of words and language like hero to moving it from hero to proud. So we are very proud of what's been achieved and I'm really proud of what my team's achieved. Um, but that was a very deliberate shift from being about the, the, the clap to moving on to 
and signifying that that change in direction that this is the new normal and things are going back to as normal as they can can be but the story isn't over yet it's far from over it's this is um that was the first chapter and we're moving into many many more chapters of, of the story um and so i think these are the things that i'm taking with me most importantly into this next phase of whatever this looks like um, for everybody and that's about being proactive and honest about the impact that covid has had on the organization that bbc piece very much spoke to that because had we have not done that i think people would have been thinking well what on earth is going on in that massive hospitals um, and how are they responding and why am i waiting so long to receive my treatment so being proactive often allows you to own your own story understand what operational colleagues are facing now but also in months to come so what are those challenges that you can help with so for example i sit on the outpatients and diagnostics task force so for, for, for that, the, the big ones are about, well, how do we encourage people to come to, their um, to come to the hospital when they need to? And how do, do we make sure that they attend video and telephone appointments and understand that they are as valuable as coming to the hospital? So there's some real behaviour change pieces that I most in, um, will be working on over the next couple of months. But also find stories that demonstrate that recovery. And often it's the people who don't realise that they're doing an amazing job are the ones who make the biggest difference um, and I'll end on on the note of Terry who he is one of our domestic cleaners and he operates what he describes as being a Dalek that is a fogger it goes into wards to decontaminate them so imagine this Dalek going in and he takes off a panel and he uh, makes sure that the um that this Dalek decontaminates the um the the wards as, as well as it can be so when I spoke to him is he's a man of very very few words and he was just he he just sees it as doing his job but actually if he doesn't do his job to the best of his abilities then that can make people not safe and potentially you know it could mean that they 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 don't um they we can't save their lives so what he does is really important but he doesn't see that so you really need to to scrape beneath the surface to see where those stories are because often they won't just land in your lap so make sure that you go out and get them so to summarize the my, my six key lessons are don't underestimate the power of the human voice connecting people is really important don't forget to breathe that's that's you know vital um stories are, are absolutely they're in a, a really important tool in your armory you absolutely cannot pour from an empty cup and think about how you can get people to work under one single mission because it takes you to places that you did not know that you could not even reach so thank you joe i um just want to say if you want to connect with me um i'm on linkedin and twitter um and then i'll hand back over to joe for any questions that have come through Wow. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was like, you know, you set up sometimes when, uh, you know, when you set up a, a marketing based event and stuff like that, you don't necessarily expect to be so profoundly moved in the morning. And, and you know, like I, I, there's some comments coming in here, which, are, you know, to the effect of, well, there's one here from David who says, thank you, Sarah, for your quiet, understated and hugely impactful presentation. So glad I was here to see and hear you. And like, Thank I you. feel exactly the same that like, you know, 
Blimey, what a huge challenge that you had, but also, you know, you can see that you, you, you faced it head on with, um, with poise and, and amazing thinking and, you know, the comments are just rolling in that it was, you know, of course, it's been a, an amazing effort. And, um, you know, I hope, you know, I think we feel proud of you <laughs> in, a, in a way, you know, that it's, uh, you know, really, really spellbinding. I, I sort of sat here for the entire time. Um, actually just sort of thinking well there's a question and then you answered it <laughs> so, like, you know, just in terms of um, both both the presentation and um you know the context for it all uh, absolutely spellbinding so thank you so so much um really couldn't appreciate that appreciate it anymore um there are some questions um so um we, we will go through those um if you'd like to uh, stop sharing your screen, Sarah. Then we yeah, can... we've covered this before, so <laughs> we'll see if you can find your mouth. There, there we, go. we go. Sweet, um, fabulous. So I guess the the first lot of questions actually came in like on a very sort of tactical basis about Facebook group. Um, so I I know that you won't. You, it will be your team that managed it as well. So there might be some stuff here that uh, you don't necessarily in the weeds in, but the stuff like. Uh, and they're very quick questions, but how did you find, you know, make sure that the right people were getting in the group? So what did you do when people requested to join the group? Did you have to go into their profile or, or what did you do there? Yeah, it was, it was quite, um, it's still quite a labor intensive um, process. So the nitty gritty of it is, is that we need to make sure that every person who enters that group is a member, an employee of, of the trust. So one of the questions is that we ask them is what is your trust email um, so that they have to provide that. And then we make sure that they're on the system. So there is a level of, um, logistical admin that sits behind that and of course where we had it felt like thousands at the time and it probably was where we were having to to check all of those and and go through it so that the team did an amazing job to to make that happen and we were conscious to get people on there as quickly as possible because that was somebody who potentially wasn't receiving our messaging so as I say the team did a cracking job to to get as many people on there as possible and we're still regularly like I, I get alerts on my phone even this morning saying so and so wants to join the group so it's it's continuing to grow as more people are inviting people as well um, and seeing the value of being connected in that way but I have to say not everybody likes Facebook and not everybody is is um, I suppose agrees with Facebook as a platform so we need to make sure that not everything is on there um, but equally, we're providing value for the people who do use that as a platform. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And uh, to sort of emphasise them, you know, I think we all go through those problems because Facebook does seem to be the best place for to hold these groups. Um, you know, unfortunately, maybe. Um, but but you're spot on. Um, and and when you actually started the groups, you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning you you seeded it with bulletin stuff, but then people almost naturally started to post their own, you know, sort of thank you messages and stuff like that. So were you surprised by that? And, and like, did you, was the intention always to see it and hope that people started engaging or, or, or what was the strategy behind it? I think we've been thinking about it for a little while. And we, as with all these things in organisations as large as, um, as Adam Brooks and the Rosie is that things like this do take time to get through and you need to get the buy-in from the right people. Um, we probably would have created a little policy around it for how we manage it. And that's something that we're retrospectively going back and doing. Um, but at the time, it was really important to make sure that we were connecting with people in a way that it would appear where they are 
so rather than having to pull people to where we are at least we were going where people were and that was a that was a deliberate choice to do it um so that you know as they're scrolling through their feed up pops the latest bulletin so that they can find that information that's really important that you know if they've got five minutes they can read through and know that um they're walking into um, a situation that they can handle the next day yeah absolutely and th there is a question here from adam who asked uh, have you had any stories of issues of self-regulation because you know you, you quite rightly pointed out that you should just trust people to a certain extent and actually i'm thinking now that we should change the marketing media facebook group so people can just post rather than it's <laughs> like a, a, a an approved post but like have you had any stories there and have you ever needed to step in um so nothing that is like hair raisingly awful um, i think we get some who complain but perhaps not in the most constructive way um and it's remembering that often when you complain about something that that could be somebody else on a different ward that that could be you know somebody's family member so dealing with it carefully i think we've only ever had to remove a couple of posts and i, I can't remember what the content of them was i think it was something perhaps um spam or something okay. but the majority uh, where people do complain we have people who say well you know either they they pile and say do you know what that that is that is bad um and for some things, absolutely, you know, it, it helps to get things rectified. Mm -hmm. um, but often it's the tone of how that comes across um, in the online world. And perhaps they wouldn't have worded something like that were it to be a phone call to that department um, if something wasn't quite right. So that's that's the only ways that we find it. But as I say, a lot of people in those departments um, are able to provide the answers. So often like, um, you know, where say the hand sanitizer has run out in a particular area and some it hasn't been reported because everybody else thinks somebody's going to report it gets if something like that could get reported and then you know somebody from estates and facilities is on there and goes oh <laughs> okay, problem solved i can get that sorted nice. um, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to see when it when those questions do because often um like as anybody knows through managing social media channels you have questions that come through and often it's you have to go and find the answer yeah. go and get somebody to sort it to help provide a response whereas in this it means that often the people who can provide the answers do mm -hmm. and that's a really lovely place to be and from social media point of view it's um it's time saving as well which is <laughs> means it could move on to something else <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and I guess there's an interesting point here because you, you you alluded to it a few times where you spoke about like almost like a phased approach to things. So you, you switched it to a CH bulletin rather than a, a coronavirus update. Um, using the Facebook group as a lens, but also widen it out if you'd like to. How are you thinking about progressing the channels that you've developed over the course of time? You know, I don't know how far you know, the group is planning, you know, ahead and stuff like that. But do you, do you have an intention that, you know, X channel will shift in Y way because that will be appropriate at that point? Or are you, you're still sort of without uh, saying that you're on the back foot, you know, reacting to the circumstances as they are because there's no element of that too? I think definitely with the portal. So we have an intranet that sits behind um, the network and the portal with um, information which is sanctioned to be outside of the network is on there. So I think from that perspective, we're obviously considering well the digital experience for staff and the benefits of having something that sits outside the network. 
but also considering well what technology will be available um, within the infrastructure at that point of time so would it be worth redeveloping the staff portal to be the internet because everybody can access it they can get it on their mobile devices where at the moment you can't on the internet so there there's definitely thoughts around that um, i think with this with the facebook group um it's a bit more difficult because it very much reflects the the voice of staff and what's happening at the time so we use it for things like um polls to inform what potentially what we do next so for example we were looking at the regularity of bulletins that we were putting out so do we move to daily do we move to weekly you know how much information is it too much and using it as a bit of a check-in for staff so i think i think it will evolve naturally on the facebook group unless there's specific campaigns and content that we think that people can really get behind um but more intentional on our um i suppose our bigger channels and as i think i was mentioning um when we were talking earlier that we are in the process of launching a new website as well for the end of September, one that absolutely complies with that public sector legislation that's coming in, um, where currently it doesn't, you know, it's a, it's an awful experience. Don't go, don't go to <laughs> at the moment, please don't. <laughs> it's not a reflection of, um, of where we are digitally. We're, um, as I say, in that process of uh, developing a new website. Absolutely. We were laughing about this beforehand, but like, uh, you know, I feel like in these times at the moment, you know, something like a, a new website would be a, a project that so many of us would stress over as marketers for, you know, months and years on end. But, you know, it's, it's just one thing amongst many. So, uh, you know, fair play to you for, for tackling that. Um, so we've got a question here from Amy, which is, um, you know, wider um, about digital, digital marketing, really. Um, and it's probably quite pertinent at the moment, you know, if you know, you've been managing your team. So she just says, uh, what are the top digital skills that um, you've really valued in your team? So her question is actually phrased, what are the top digital skills marketers need to have? But sure. I guess you can phrase it. As, uh, so I think there's definitely something about being able to tell stories. So whether that's digitally, whether that's non-digitally, being able to tell those stories is really important, but, but translating them into digital. So knowing what is the right platform, what is the right type of content for the for that particular story. And, it, and it's not a um it's not a, a blanket of how it's done. So we regularly consider well, is a video the best way to do it? People always want a video. Um but actually we from our channels we've we've analyzed that um often photos are much more impactful and have more engagement than videos, which it surprised us when we said that. So I think the ability to to look at in insights and stats as well um, to inform how you do things is really important. And then uh, finally, I think um, just having an eye on what's going on in the world and helping to, I suppose, what is that technology? Having that one one eye on the future while you're trying to get a grip on on the today, but how could you be doing this in the future? So not just appreciating that this is, you know, this is where we are now, but what could come next? Um, no, that, that makes sense, that curiosity, I guess, in a sense. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got a question here from uh, Simon. Uh, I won't read the, the first bit, but uh, the second bit is, um, has there been any moments which have sort of like blindsided the team and, and how did you react to that so I guess you alluded to it right at the beginning where you know you guys needed to communicate at pace I think was what you said because you know everything was 
changing so regularly was there a moment where you were like wow wasn't expecting that and, and now we've got to deal with it and and if so you know you, you know i'm not expecting you to detail it if, if that's something you can't do um but what was the reaction in, in that sort of situation because it was changing so quick it was and i think it probably was how thick and fast internally it was changing as well so i for for a big chunk of time was leading on the comms for ppe which crikey that that was that was heavy going because of what we were hearing and it there was obviously concerns nationally about the pipeline of PPE into the country, let alone how could we ensure that we had enough PPE for staff. And thankfully, we never had a position where there wasn't PPE for staff. And that that is down to the amazing work of the procurement team. But sometimes listening in to those conversations and hearing quite, you know, how close to the line mm. we were, that, that, that was, wow, do you know what? That's That's really quite something. And part of it was down to the responsible use of PPE because where people were panicking and hearing the national narrative, people were stockpiling PPE right. to make sure that their unit was okay. So part of our behavior change comms was absolutely about, well, don't worry, we've got enough as long as you don't hold on to it and to make sure that, you know, you have a part to play in all this. So I think that was probably the most, wow, okay, this is where we can really impact with our communications. Um, and yeah, incredibly heavy going because at times it, it, it was, it did look, it did look bleak, mm -hmm. but the work of the, um, the procurement team to get that PPE into the organization was, it, it, yeah, it was, it was really important. Um, and I'll, I'll just remember about the, um, one of the meetings where we had, um, people who were innovating as well. We had clinical engineering who were just incredible people who, you know, they they look at problems and they they go off and they find solutions. So um, some of the wow moments have been through the creativity that people have had um, to create different things. So they made the ear protectors that you put where you put your mask on and um, you loop them over. So now what they created is now available for all staff. They've also done this magnifying um, glass thing where, People are in PPE, obviously, you know, you've got your mask on. Some people have the visors, depending on where you are in the hospital. Yeah. You can't read properly. So they've created these little magnifiers that help people to read um, with all this get up on. Mm. So there, there's, there's been a lot of wow moments. But I think for me, it's been sitting on that PPE group, hearing mm -hmm. some of the challenges, but also some of the, the real creativity um, that, that staff have come up with. It's a brilliant place to work, I swear. Yeah, it it sounds incredible. Actually, you know, you know those challenges we don't we don't get every day. You know, and and uh, that's that's quite, you know, really quite special. And like, I guess as a follow up to that, you know, this is your daily life, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm sat here and I'm like, whoa, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. How do you even begin to process that on a tactical level? Because you are you're you're just moving so quick. Um, do you ever feel like and, it, you know, from everything we can see that the quality of your work has been maintained as well, um, you know, with the quality of the assets, uh, the thoughtfulness, the shift from something that was a little bit more cold to something more human. You know, how do you, as a, as a thought process, how do you start to think, OK, we've got this challenge today, so we're going to go out and, and tactically implement this? Because I think the strategy is one thing, but the actual in the weed stuff, you know, it's quite another in, in a relatively small team as well, really. 
Yeah, so there's five of us in Digicoms and then there's a wider team, um, which includes external affairs and internal comms. Um, and I have to say, my boss, Ali Bailey, director of comms, she introduced something called, um, alongside um, other executive directors, CUH Reflex, which was a period of about, I think it's two or three weeks, where we asked the organisation to pause and reflect on what had happened you know how had life changed for people in departments and we did that ourselves in communications too so how had things been working what what worked well what didn't what what did we stop that actually we, we don't want to bring back um so there, there was a lot of time that we could do that i mean things are moving quickly in, in the background so while we reflect we're also you know having to crack on with a day job but having that that space and that again that permission to um, to stop to to think well how could we do this differently mm-hmm. uh, that was really important so hats off have to hats off to Ali for making that happen in the organisation and now we're using that um, feedback in the organisation but also within the team mm-hmm. um, so but on that kind of day to day level about how do we tactically uh, manage that it's it's a challenge it's really difficult so. Um, we now have task forces that are across the hospitals and we have people who are assigned to those and we kind of bring back everything that we hear that's going on that we think do you know what that's actually really important that we do something with that and we have a content pipeline we use asana to um to manage our workflow and our, our content planning which is a blessing really because it means that we can see what others are working on if there's something that's um cropping up in external affairs or internal then we know that from a digital perspective we can make sure that gets covered um so having that story pipeline where everybody feeds into from their different areas we can understand and go through what's important and we've been doing that probably for the last month now and that's had a real impact on um understand what's important and how we go about doing things and sometimes we just have to accept that there's not enough time to be able to do everything so we have to put our resources where they matter most and that can be challenging because i like to be able to do a great job across the board (laughs) Um, sometimes i just have to accept that and and move on absolutely no that makes perfect sense i feel like (laughs) could speak about this you know it's utterly fascinating and like i i I, you know not that you need my praise because you're clearly you know incredible but you know I, I, I you know i think we're just so proud of you so so you know well done to you and well done to your team because you know this is this is real you know this is real stuff and this is real marketing too so so thank you um th- i think we we probably have uh used up our lot of time so i want to be respectful for folks but you know sarah just thank you so so much you know this is you know made my day and i'm sure it's made the day of so many people just to hear about it uh there's so many takeaways and and uh you know absolutely unbelievable so so really really grateful thank you for spending the time today well, thanks for listening to me <laughs> <laughs> no, and um so thank you to everyone that's been here today and uh also please do take the time to uh thank the sponsors uh it really does make a big difference um webinar next tuesday as as ever um but for right here right now coming to you from little down i'm feeling very very uh inspired so uh i hope you all have a wonderful day uh thank you sarah and thank you everyone for being here today and uh i hope you enjoy another uh scorching hot day as well so take care everyone and uh we'll see you soon